Hello, and welcome to Insert Here, a sex podcast where lust and learning meet. I'm your host, Kate Warren. Each week, I invite a new guest on the show to share their experiences outside the heteronormative or vanilla worlds of sexual expression. Guests bring a wide variety of gender, orientation, and racial experiences to life through their stories. They approach sexuality in fascinating ways and talk about how it's informed by who they are and what they've experienced. I invite regular people to share their best tools, tips, and tricks for communicating, thinking about, and of course, having great sex. Today we welcome Cass and Elise, two early 20-something childhood friends who started a period chocolate company called Chica Chocolate. We'll be talking about how that shaped their personal approaches to their bodies, sexuality, what it's actually like to grow up in a Burning Man community, and what it's like to date as a queer 21-year-old in 2018. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. We're very happy to be here. We're just dropping those beats and like can't get off it. Um, we're like breaking, busting a dance move in the in the studio. <laughs> so I hope you were too. All right. <laughs> so as we do with each show, um, maybe we can start out by each of you sort of walking me through the the labels that you like to choose to use for yourselves, if you choose to use labels. Cass, you can start. I use pronouns she, her, hers. And I identify as queer, but I also use bisexual, depending on the day. Cool. How about you, Elise? I also use the pronouns she, her, and um, excuse me, Cassidy gave me the label to use of heteroflexible, um, which I'm really enjoying playing with right now. That's awesome. So let's let's take a beat because we've used that phrase before on the show. So walk me through why heteroflexible feels like the perfect label for you to use right now in this phase of your life. Um, heteroflexible feels really appropriate for me right now um, because I have, in my past relationships, have only been in relationships with men and in my past past flirtatious encounters have only been with men. And so I feel like I still very much so exist in that place of privilege of presenting as a heterosexual woman and everybody around me assumes I'm heterosexual. Um, but at the same time, like, especially for me, like being 21 and it being 2018, whatever that means, um, I really just feel incredibly, it feels incredibly ridiculous to me to limit myself mm-hmm. to like deciding that like, I'm only going to be with men and I'm only going to date men. Um, and I also like in my own fantasies, like have been encountering women a lot in those fantasies. And so I'm definitely exploring the possibility while also recognizing that, like, my privilege um, and, and how I tend to interact in the world still falls um, into very heterosexual. Totally. I love that. And I love that that's really, that's really empathetic. Um, Cask, maybe you can talk a little bit more about, like, the conversation that you and Elise had that kind of, like, led to that using that label. Um, well, I actually use that label uh, to describe Elise when we were preparing for this podcast because I was listening to the podcast and heard another guest use it in this context. (laughs) Yeah, and so I was really inspired by the flexibility as 
you know, that term contains. Yeah, because I think that we're really venturing into this realm where we understand that sexuality is flexible and we're understanding that it's, it's a journey of coming to learn more about yourself and how you relate to your sexuality and to other people. Um, and it's not always something so set in stone. Yeah, totally. Now, do you think it's easier for you to have those conversations and to own a label like heteroflexible because you are cis-identifying women, meaning you have um, you know female-presenting bodies and you that you feel comfortable in? Like, do you think it's harder for men to identify as heteroflexible? Absolutely. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> I would say it is. Let's flip it, right? Because we're in this, we're in this like post Brett Kavanaugh momo where, you know, I'm, I'm actually having a lot of really interesting conversations with some of my guy friends right now about how vulnerable they feel, which is valid. So what do you think it is that makes it harder for guys to own labels like heteroflexible? Well, I think that a lot of it comes from queerness as expressed by cis women, especially when those cis women are very um, attractive in the Western kind of patriarchal beauty ideals that Mm -hmm. we've constructed. Traditionally Um, hot in the American term, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. In in a European sense, too. I guess I'm I'm using Mm -hmm. Western to largely refer to whiteness. Yeah. Cool. Which is um, not necessarily true, but I think... In the general sense, queerness, as expressed um, by cis women, who especially are considered attractive, is fetishized. Whereas for men, um, queerness is still very heavily stigmatized because it's not given any space to exist. Whereas queerness for women is given the space to exist that's very specific to being for the male gaze. Right, fetishized in that way. Yeah, I also I also think um, that a lot of it has to do with like how we see the masculine and the feminine, um, and how in our society the masculine is still um, preferred and is still like presented as as seen as like stronger. And so, for a woman to be queer, um, there's this idea that they are presenting in both the masculine and the feminine, whereas, like, when a man is queer, he's, like, losing some of his masculinity maybe for femininity, and we, I think we still have a habit of uh, looking down on that as, as a culture. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And it, it's really restrictive, right? Like, toxic masculinity is bad for men and women. It, it, mm-hmm. it creates this, like, very small box that, that men can operate in where they have to be strong and you know, and have to sort of perform this idea of manhood when really like, you know, no matter who they're attracted to, they showing the whole person, I think is more sexy. And that means embracing the divine feminine part of yourself too. your feelings. (laughs) (laughs) So to, to start out talking about, about how you guys met, you met in your seventh grade gym class, just like Ben and Jerry's, (laughs) which I love. Um, so talk to me a little bit about like how you came of age together as, as women and as, as like sexual beings. My God, I love this because (laughs) I feel like, um, I personally am still learning how to communicate better about 
um, my state of being, and especially, like, with respect to um, my sexuality with the people in my life. But Elise has always been really great at cluing me in um, to her sexual journey. And when she lost her virginity, she drove over to my house with her boyfriend in tow to let me know. They both came? <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. I I left my boyfriend in the living room with her dad. <laughs> So how did that how did that conversation go? It was just like kind of like squealing, excited, <laughs> whispering conversation, exactly as you might imagine. I, I, I think I was sixteen. Cool. Mm-hmm. I was like just barely sixteen. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. We were about that age where it was just like it was just it was just exciting, and I think I was only there for like five minutes. It was very much so just a quick errand. I had to get it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. And when you've grown up together since seventh grade, like that's definitely a thing you want to share kind of right away. Yeah. <laughs> in that case, immediately with your boyfriend in tow. Um, <laughs> so you've, you've said to me that, that Cass was sort of, at least like your, like your adopted family in a lot of ways. Um, can the two of you sort of like tag team describe Cass's family and kind of like how it helped define how you approach sexuality? Yeah, I can start by kind of defining my own family a little bit also. Um, so when I was 13, my mom began dating my now stepdad. And when he first began, was dating my mom and, and started to live in our house, I really did not get along with him at all. Um, and so I actually wound up sleeping at Cassie's house quite a lot. And I think that's when her family really started to really become my family. Okay. And also my own mom really struggled with being open about sex. Um, she wouldn't allow my high school boyfriend to ever be in my bedroom. And so that like really quickly sent a message to me that she wasn't willing to talk about it. She wasn't willing to let it happen. And actually... I didn't tell her about have myself having sex until, I don't know, I'd probably been sexually active for like a year. And it was like there was a lot of anger and crying and emotions. Um, but outside of that, I always had Cassidy's mom to turn to, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was always like a very incredible support system that I was really grateful for because I could show up to Cassidy's house and I could be really open and I could talk about what I was exploring and what I was doing in my life. And I didn't have to feel like judged or like I was going to get into trouble. And so that was really, really nice for me. That makes sense. Cass, can you walk us through your family a little bit? Absolutely. Um, So my family, as Elise has touched on, has been a really great resource um, because they are a lot more open about sexuality. And I think that's very much a product of them growing up and rejecting their own upbringing and having the privilege and flexibility to decide how they want to talk about sex and talk about sexuality, especially Mm -hmm. with their kid um, and the other people in their life. And uh, when, when I was growing up, when I was very young, I understood uh, very, in a very detailed sense, what, sex, especially um, heterosexual sex, looked like from a scientific and biological standpoint, because Mm -hmm. my dad is a Chinese doctor and acupuncturist. 
And so I kind of grew up learning the systems of the human body through his anatomy and coloring books. And anytime I had a question about the reproductive system, about the menstrual cycle, about any of those um, kind of topics that we tend to not address so well um, Mm -hmm. when kids are like, you know, what's happening when those people are, you know, hugging very closely? Like I got very straightforward answers. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when I became more like sexually active and was entering into that phase of my life, I was privileged enough to have access to a conversation about the emotional and um, intimate aspects of sexuality that don't necessarily have to do with physical mm-hmm. intimacy, um, but with the, with the reminder always present that those things are often very intimately connected. Right. And um, when I first started having sex, my mom sat me down with a box of condoms and a bottle of boob and wanted me to know that sex could be really wonderful for me. And it was really important that I was always on the same page with my partner. Um, and my parents used the three R's as, mm-hmm. um, as a way to describe that relational, reproductive, and recreational. And if everyone involved in the intimate encounter is on the same page about which bar they're on, like why <laughs> they are having sex or why they're being intimate, yeah. then it's more likely that that's going to be a really incredible experience for, for both or everyone involved. That's kind of an amazing piece of advice to give, right? Like yeah. they really kind of gave you a framework and a toolkit that you could then apply to your own experiences as you had them. Definitely. So I know you mentioned to me um, to me before that, that your family um, is involved in Burning Man. How did that culture shape the way that you approach sexuality? Well, I think um, in theory, um, my sexual journey has been really incredible. Um, but because of the kind of pro-sex messaging, um, that was really present and I think still is in that in that group of adults. Um, I think that it helped inform my sex life as a hot mess in practice <laughs> very often. Really? Um, because it overemphasized the kind of the goodness and the greatness of sex without also allowing space for kind of the complication and the hurt and the hard parts, mm-hmm. and That's I great. think that played a big role in blurring some boundaries, especially when I was a very young woman. Mm-hmm. That's fair. So now that you're that you're in your early twenties, um, you know, I talked to both of you before about how you're sort of uh, like where you are in your exploratory process. Um, so, can you talk to me a little bit about like as twenty-one year olds, like where are you? Like, what's it like? <laughs> I can take a start at that. Um, So I basically had a lot of sex in high school and haven't really had a lot of sex since, Um, Mm -hmm. mostly because I figured out that I'm not really the type of person who has really fast sex or hookups or anything like that. It takes time to to get get into me in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just haven't had um, very many sexual partners. Um, which is fine. Like I've been really busy. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, fine. Um, 
my exploratory phase, especially in this part of my life, has really all been focused on self-pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started um, self-pleasuring every single night because I realized and it was, came from a very utilitarian sense. Like, I already knew that I enjoyed doing it. And I, was, I, I started self-pleasuring when I was, like, 14. Um, but then when I was in college, I started having lower back pain. And I realized that when I would have an orgasm, I could sleep through the entire night and have no pain. So I was like, great, I'm going to do this every single night. Yes. And so it was very utilitarian for a while. Um, and I would have fantasies, but they were kind of like all the same. They were really creative. And so I've been really working with exploring what I can fantasize in my head and what I can use to actually bring sensation in my body. Because sometimes I can think about something, but it doesn't actually do anything in my own body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I definitely fantasize about other people a lot, but one of the things I've also been trying to experiment with fantasizing about is just like basically my own success and things that I want to bring into the world and see if I can imagine a moment of great success or great achievement or some accomplishment that I want to get to and just see if I can use that imagining to bring sensation and bring excitement into my body. Oh, okay. Sexual manifestation. That's what I've really been exploring. Yeah, and just figuring out what can I fantasize other than like the traditional heterosexual sex? Okay. So fantasy, do, you know? do you mind talking a little bit about, about like what other kinds of things you're trying out now? Um, yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to think of specific examples. I mean, like I said in the beginning, I've like definitely in the past, like few months have allowed myself to fantasize about women. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if I just was totally oblivious women's bodies for, but I really don't think that I was. I think that I really just subconsciously didn't allow myself to have that as a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been really fun for me. And uh, last night I was looking until three. Um, and so I was like, when I got into bed, I like immediately just started fantasizing about the idea of like, not necessarily like having sex, but like somebody else like comforting me in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, somebody else like bringing me relaxation because like when I go straight from my computer to my bed at three o'clock in the morning like my nervous system is completely fried yeah so I was just like fantasizing over the idea of just being comforted and settled in some way um and then like I said like (laughs) masturbating to the idea of your own success like feels like a little bit of a Oriented, um, business, I am totally here I'm, for this. <laughs> yeah, I've been having a great time with that. <laughs> I've been masturbating the idea of myself holding a lot of giant sex. <laughs> so you're, bas- you're basically using like self-pleasure-based sex magic to manifest your career, which I am exactly all about. <laughs> that, actually, that actually came from a conversation that I had at work. I worked with uh, three really great people, and while we were all having lunch together, my boss brought up um, the topic that when she was younger, she coined, she came up with the term master magic. Um, and she would basically masturbate while trying to and use that energy to manifest things that she wanted to come into her life. Okay. And that's a really good idea. I mean, there's so much energy flowing through your body. Like, why not use it? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> no, I totally love that. I think that's brilliant. And I think that's something that, that people of all different sort of gender identities and orientations can relate to. Mm-hmm. You know, because we talk a lot about uh, how the political activism almost of not needing another person to for, to to own your own p- 
pleasure, right? Like we all are entitled mm-hmm. to our own pleasure. You don't need a partner for that. And, you know, to then use that energy and to be like, and I'm going to use that, that sexual energy that I generated out of my own body and my own heart and use that to drive my career as well is like pretty fantastic. Exactly. Uncertain times we're living in, but you know, there's always masturbation. <laughs> always. It's a great stress reliever. It's incredible. Oh, totally. I definitely use it as a stress reliever, reliever for sure. <laughs> so Cass, <laughs> what about you? Give me your, your, uh, your update as a, as a 21 year old out here on these streets or in mm-hmm. your, in your own sheets, just with your own self, which is also awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, actually I would say that my experience now is definitely more geared towards self pleasure and I've arrived at this at this similar point um, that Elise has, where I'm really emphasizing my relationship with self. Um, and while I've arrived at this similar threshold, I think I've kind of processed and journeyed there in a different way. Um, in contrast to a highly relational introduction to my sex life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very attached to being a highly sexual being that was detached relationally. Um, and so in the past, I've been very attached to um, fantasies of positions and um, being with multiple, multiple people at once in a way that kind of allows me to check out Um, and not be fully in my body. Um, And I think my journey now is really about kind of checking back in. Um, And I think that has been really motivated and channeled by self-pleasure. And I'm realizing this more and more, not only with talking with Elise, but with my roommates and so many other friends and people in my life that were thinking about intimacy and partnership really differently and realizing that having a better sexual relationship with yourself is really powerful and having a better sexual relationship with other people. But at the same time, having a powerful sexual relationship with self can be an end in itself. Like it doesn't have to be a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think I'm really fully embracing that right now. I love that. And even just the idea of giving yourself permission to do that is awesome. Definitely. I have a, I have a quick little story about Cassie. That's really funny. That might give everybody another perspective. Yes. (laughs) Um, a couple of years ago for Cassie's birthday, do you know, are you familiar with the uh, the lubricant that Foria makes? I am it's not. It's like a, a marijuana lubricant, oh, and yes. you um, apply it to the, like, clit area, the vaginal area, and you wait 30 minutes. And Get your pussy you feel amazing high. And you have, like, 10 orgasms in a row. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So a couple, I'm here for pussy <laughs> weed in all forms. <laughs> I know. It's so good. Uh, for Cassie's birthday a couple of years ago, um, me and Cassie's mom both independently on our own purchased Cassidy the Floria Loop. <gasps> and I just think that's a great little antidote. 
So now you, you have more, more pussy weed lube than you can know what to do with? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> have you gone through? <laughs> it's a really great form of wealth to be rolling. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You're pussy weed rich, girl. Get after it. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. So I'd like to pivot a little bit and spend some time talking about your business that you have together. You started Chica Chocolate. Um, after meeting just like Ben and Jerry in seventh grade. And maybe you can walk us through a little bit about how Chica Chocolate came to be, and we can start out by you telling us exactly what it is. Well, Chica is a period chocolate. And what that means is we infuse chocolate truffles with a Chinese herbal formula that helps regulate your hormone cycle which contributes to a more easeful and comfortable period in general, regardless of your symptoms. And we send those to our customers on a subscription basis with the idea and mission that people can start to think differently about their period and come to hopefully embrace it um, every month and celebrate it rather than dreading or seeing it as necessary suffering. Yeah, so maybe we can spend a little bit of time talking about like how you guys perceive sort of like the public perception of periods and how you think that needs to change. I think people just really tend to hate on periods. And to be fair, they are really hard. Um, I mean, we're bleeding. A lot of times. (laughs) Yeah, we're literally having to logistically deal with blood, which is like actually difficult. Yeah. Even if you don't have a super heavy flow, like it involves, it, you have to think ahead and you have to have supplies on you and it, supplies cost money. I mean, it can be very difficult to just deal with the blood itself. Um, and I think it's increasingly common for girls who are first getting their periods um, when they're in middle school and high school to deal with like really bad cramping and really heavy bleeding. And so not only do you not really know what's going on and you don't, you just don't have the years of experience to just like be able to manage your period really easily, um, but you also are just all of a sudden hit with these symptoms that are really intense. Um, And I also think that we have really negative viewpoints on, like, PMS. And instead of, you know, this being your PMS week being a week where you're more open and more creative um, and maybe a little bit more grounded, and I clean a lot during my PMS week, instead we just have this viewpoint of, like, you eat food that's bad for you and you're really grouchy and, like, you're going to make bad decisions. Um, and so I think we have negative viewpoints both on um, the act of bleeding itself. You know, period blood is seen as, like, a very dirty thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have negative viewpoints on just how hormones operate in our, in our bodies. Um, and I think it's also just, like, really, really undereducated. Um, many women don't know how their period cycles work. Um, or many people who bleed don't know how their period cycles work, let alone people who don't bleed. Like, most of the time, people who don't bleed are like, I don't know what's going on. I don't get it. I don't want to know about it. Uh, So 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 there's also that. So let's do a little 101. Like, what are some of the common misconceptions that people have? And can you you drop some some period knowledge on us? My favorite one is that period blood is antimicrobial and antibacterial. So it actually, you know, not to say, like, obviously when I take out my menstrual cup, I wash it and I wash my hands. Like, not to say that I walk around blood on my hands, but it's not the dirty substance that people believe it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing that people really don't appreciate, and this isn't so much of a myth, it's just like a missed 
idea, which is that having a healthy period all through your reproductive years, um, and when I mean healthy, I mean regular, um, a nice red color, meaning that you're getting enough nutrition in your body, um, nice, uh, comfortable blood flow, things like that, is actually really important and defines how you go through menopause, and it defines your bone health later in life. And I think that is really underappreciated. And actually, like, a lot of young women are encouraged to have very light periods because it shows that you're achieving this, you know, this beauty standard of thinness and health. Mm. Um, when, in fact, you're just depriving your... It's a sign that you're depriving your body of nutrients. Uh, Cassie, do you have any other misconceptions? Mm-hmm. I think something that has been arising, especially recently, as more of a cultural and discussion misconception um, around periods is that there is a divide between them either being completely hidden and completely stigmatized or embraced in the name of the divine feminine. And Mm -hmm. something that we're trying to do with Chica is kind of shed periods and they're cast with the goddess archetype, which is something we use to refer to the idea that, you know, people who are bleeding have to be like, you know, like stepping into this like divine form and just like transcending and honestly. I want to transcend into my sweatpants when I'm on my period. (laughs) And like that right there shows like the real raw experience of bleeding very often is it's human it's so human and it really has mm-hmm. you know in in the past there there's a lot of um like history around periods in the cultural world they play and and being very divine but i think that's been co-opted in mm-hmm. in a lot of ways well, it's, um, it's still pressure the conversation mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's pressure for women to perform this goddess role right like you're 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 and it, and it applies to motherhood a lot too like we can use the example of like breastfeeding right like we're like oh they're like mother and child are so connected like she's nurturing her with her body but also like her nipples are bleeding probably because like that baby is like chomping you know like this goddess mentality that like you have to you know, look, for instance, the way Kate Milton looked when she left the hospital after having her most recent child with like a perfect blowout and mascara and like a, a little A-line skirt, right? When, when in fact, like she literally had just been like torn in half by a child coming out of her, you know? So we had, and that's a great example of like a modern day sort of like goddess archetype that we still very much are pressured to perform. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we still, we, I mean, this is like a complaint that people have about feminism today, which is this like this ideal that to be the ultimate woman, you have to bleed. To have pussy power, you know, you have to have blood coming out no. of your vagina, which is just totally not true. No. Um, and it does really limit the conversation and, and make a very like one-sided view of feminism. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it also, it, it, it makes it for only one group of people, right? Exactly. Like, the, the, the goddess bleeders, but like, I'm a, I'm a reach field feminist and I haven't had a period in six years cause I have an IUD, you know, mm-hmm. and it doesn't make me less of a feminist or less of a goddess. Um, but it is, it, you know, it should be part of like the open conversations that we have about reproductive health, which impacts everybody. Right. And that also 
impacts leaders that don't identify as women, which is mm-hmm. another reason why the kind of goddess archetype and, and the way that we're talking about it um, is really exclusive and um, defining a certain way of existing in womanhood or in bleeding. Um, and bleeding is such a shared experience. So the more that we can be brutally honest about it, um, the less I think that they will be ignored and the more that we can really work on fully engaging with our health and improving it in, in a way that is substantial and will serve us for a long time. Absolutely. So can you, can you walk us through a little bit about, uh, about the Chinese medicine that's used in Chica chocolate? Yeah, absolutely. So the formula um, that we use in Chica is derived from a formula that's been used in Chinese medicine for an incredibly long time. Um, we say hundreds of years because that's how far back we can trace it, mm-hmm. but it's more likely thousands in the variations of the formula that's been used. Wow. Um, and the star players of the um, formula, like Angelica Root and Peony Root and Poria, um, complemented by the fresh mint and ginger that are present in the formula as well, as well as a couple of other herbs, really work together. And each um, ingredient complements the uses and forces of the other herbs to help your body shed the uterine lining um, and balance your hormones. So everything on the surface, like all of the symptoms that we understand as being necessary um, are part of having a period like cramps or mood swings, depression, acne, bloating, Mm -hmm. the list goes on and on, all of those in Chinese medicine are understood to be symptomatic of something that is off or wrong um, Mm -hmm. below the surface. And so the way these Chinese Mm -hmm. herbs work is um, kind of getting at the root of the problem by trying to help your body regain its natural rhythm. That makes perfect sense. So why do you think this, the, like these remedies are not more commonly used? Honestly, I, I think it's... Oh, go ahead, Elise. I was just going to say, I think a lot of people just don't know that it exists. Um, and I think it also goes back to like when you just have a primary doctor who works in Western medicine and that's what you grow up with, like as soon as we get our periods, we're told that there's something that we can do about it and that our only solution is to go on birth control and stop having a period. And so that immediately just clicks into the, the resignation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're really trying to, part of our, you know, uphill battle, if you want to call it, that is just like really convincing people that their periods actually can change. Um, because I think that we're just like so deeply instilled with this belief that our periods are the way that they are and there's nothing that we can do about it except for just to stop having them. Jeez, which is so harsh, right? Like they are, they really are kind of a barometer of what's going on. And I know like I miss having mine personally. <laughs> it's like a friend that would come visit. It was an excuse to like not leave my house for a couple of days. <laughs> so I go ahead. I think it's also um, really tied into um, our understanding of periods as something 
that's very intimate and private and often also very feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we tend to um, ignore their central role, like you're saying, um, because it's tied up with so many other things that are stigmatized. And I think um, it's really important to re-engage with that part of your body, not only because of the physical health um, aspect and how central it is to your overall system, but also because it's a very energetic center. Like, you hold a lot of trauma and a lot of memory, and it's right there on, you know, the bottom of your central nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so um, when we remember to pay attention to that, I think a lot can come up and that can be really scary. What do you think makes it so scary for people? Because it deals with very personal things. Yeah. And for me, um, when my therapist asked me why I started Chica and I kind of gave her my business pitch and yeah. she said, no, no, I, I want to hear why you started Chica. Like what called you? to deal with such a visceral and internal problem. Um, And I realized that I think part of it is wanting to pay more attention um, to things that I've been repressing or ignoring for a really long time because I hold a lot of trauma and memory in that area. Mm -hmm. And to deal with that is a lot of work. Um, And it brings up a lot of really intense feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, but being more in tune with the external and physical, um, parts of my system have also helped me pay more attention to what a central role my hormones and that part of my body plays in my emotional health as well. Yeah, it's very much. I, I also have a little statement on like why I you know really deep down the core started Chica which is this this movement to really share with people that what's going on down there is completely normal like our cycles what comes out what it might smell like all these things are completely normal and you know maybe you need to take probiotics or something but like if you're if you're just paying attention to it and taking care of it there's no need to feel shame right and I think that you know, especially when we're talking about sex, like that is literally the part of the body that interacts with in sex a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's like when you let go of that shame um, and you realize that, you know, what you experience every single day with um, with your vagina and your uterus and stuff, like all of that is completely okay um, and completely amazing in its own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that can really open up a lot for people in their own relationship with their bodies and um, their relationship with their bodies with, with other people. Um, I myself am still working through that. Can we spend a minute talking about period sex? What is your stance <laughs> oh, on that? Oh, yeah. Tell me what you think. I love period sex. <laughs> I love period what sex. Do you want to do it? So let's talk, because we only have a few more minutes, so let's spend a few minutes talking about like pro tips for exceptional period sex. <laughs> you guys I don't know if I have any I don't know if I have any pro tips actually Cassie do you have any pro tips yeah um, I would say that letting go 
the attachment to periods as mess um, is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you are, like if you're really concerned about bleeding on your partner's sheets or bleeding on them, there are really a lot of great um, products out there that make period sex easier. I think um, just came out with a blanket specific for period sex. Um, There's a condom called Flex. Uh, that's specifically for period sex. And so there are um, a lot of great ways. Hmm? What does that condom do? Um, So it just, it has like a little bit of a suction. Um, And so you insert it. My understanding is that you insert it a little bit like a menstrual cup. And then it's a physical barrier for the blood. Um, And it's Hmm. the co-founder, or the founder and the um, CEO has been really careful in what ingredients go into those condoms because as we are now learning tampons and so many other products like that don't have to disclose what ingredients are in them. So they have in the past and often still do have a lot of toxic stuff in them. Right. Um, so I think there's a lot of great opportunity there for making period sex easier. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have access to those products, or don't want to play with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think communication is really important. Oh yeah, and just being on the same page that mess is okay and that period blood is not dirty. No, I think it, it, <laughs> embracing the sloppiness of it, I think, is it can be really sexy and really carnal. Yeah. You know, it's also great lubricant. It's a great lube, absolutely. You know, and if you're, and if you're That's what I was thinking, and if you're still feeling that, feeling that, that mess tip, like get in the shower, bring some exactly. lube, bring some, you know, water solvent lube with you, like. Make sure you're still using protection if that's your, jam- you know, if you're not in a monogamous relationship and you haven't both been tested, you know, the same safety stuff, of course, but like, by all means, like get down with your bad self when you have your period, like you're entitled to pleasure then too. Mm-hmm. And I've met lots of guys who like actually deeply really love period sex. They're like, yes, <laughs> let's get animalistic out here. Cause at the end of the day, like that's kind con- of, you know, we're, we, fu- we fuck like animals. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you both so much for coming on the show today is there anything else um, that you would like to add and can you also um, tell me where listeners can find your products I don't know if I have anything else to add at the moment maybe something else up uh, but you can find Chica Chocolate at ChicaChocolate.com mm-hmm. Chica spelled C-H-I-C-A just like it sounds like and we're also on Instagram um, at Chica Chocolate Chicks and then Facebook at the same name, you can backslash us. Um, and then our social media is also linked on our website. So if you can get to our website, you can also see our blog. We write letters to each other most weeks um, and share recipes. And we, we wrote a very angry letter to Facebook about blocking our ads. Um, actually, it wasn't angry. It was very smart. We did research. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so, yeah, please check us out. Absolutely. Well, and chocolate is delicious. And if you or someone you know gets a period, by all means, jump right in there. Thank you both for being on the show. You have been listening to Insert Here. We are a sex podcast where lust and learning meet. If you or someone you know might be a good guest, you can reach out to us at insertherepodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy listening, you can leave us a little review on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Kate Warren. 
Stay horny. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.